0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings and one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's show on Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023. And Aaron, uh, did I hear correctly? You're announcing your retirement?
1: That's right. This is the last uh, Marvelous Disney, because I finally have gotten what I've been waiting all of my life for, Mm -hmm. my Nielsen questionnaire, along with $2 cash money. Uh, The the lady wow. the lady and I are now on easy street. Forget about thirty second street. <laughs> easy street is my new address. Uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I did I did get my Nielsen questionnaire today. And mm-hmm. you know, they're not really asking a whole lot about what you're watching specifically. The very first question is obviously what type of TV programs do you watch regularly? And then it's split up by genre, comedy, reality TV, sports, drama, etc. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How would you rate the overall quality of TV programming today? Oof. Especially with the writer's strike. It's like, I'm tempted just to say it's garbage now in anticipation of what it's going to be in in, uh, several months from now. Mm. Uh, How many hours do you watch or listen to TV in a typical day? This one, question number four, got my attention. What time of day do you usually watch or listen TV? And then it says weekdays. Mm-hmm. Mornings, afternoons, or evenings, and then weekends. Mornings, afternoon, or evenings, and that's simply because uh, your work habits are, you know, kind of dictate your life nine to five, Monday through Friday. But on weekends, your mm-hmm. viewing habits change dramatically. Mm-hmm. So I, they're trying to do a little science there about. Yeah, you may watch the evening news when you get home because that's all you've got time for. But mm-hmm. if it's uh, Sunday, middle of the day, you watching golf, maybe, maybe. How many TVs are in your home? Now, this is going to be, I think this is going to be a kick in the old pants for some Mm -hmm. people because I think we've got over four TVs in the home. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we watch less than an hour of TV a day. (laughs) We have so many, but use it so little. Mm -hmm. How do you currently receive your TV programming, Uh, internet for me, uh, cable company, satellite service, antenna over the air or none? But then after that, they get kind of less out of the programming and they want to know more about the people. So like your age, and mm-hmm. then is this person s- Hispanic, mm-hmm. Spanish, or Latino? At home, does this person speak only English? Mm-hmm. And if not, here's a bunch of other uh, languages that they could speak. They ask for your race, how many people are living in the home, and then at home, does anyone in your household speak Spanish? So they had you know languages as question 10, Mm -hmm. Uh, But then they get down to 13 and they want to know, does anyone in your household speak uh, Spanish? And yes, is it only or mostly Spanish? Or B, do they speak a little bit more English? So uh, I know that uh, my wife answers the phones at the TV station. A lot of people call complaining about how they're horrible people because they're broadcasting in Spanish. And how dare you, because this is America, and we speak English here, you sons of guns. And then she has mm-hmm. to say very, very, very politely, sir, you may have sat on your remote and hit the SAP button. Mm-hmm. If you'll hit that one time, it will go back to English, I promise. And then they get all upset that, well, I wanted to call you a racist and you weren't. Damn you. And then they hang up in frustration. So uh, anyway, they're trying to sort out, you know. Because it is a thing where, you know, there, there are many languages in this nation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come over and they don't speak English right away. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're looking for entertainment, something that reminds them of home. And uh, sometimes, you know, Spanish language option is, is uh, like the second most in America right now. I think they're looking for the third most. If we were to adopt another SAP button, mm-hmm. would it be Korean? Would it be, you know, whatever. So interesting stuff that they're trying to figure out. Not necessarily about what I'm watching, but who is watching.
0: I'm wondering if we have some other folks who are Nielsen family out there who can uh, maybe... Oh, Jim,
1: they've all retired with that $2. Nobody's listening to this. They're on a boat. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, no, no, no. I just, I, in fact, you hit upon the, the phrase. I was intrigued by the language that was used, watch or listen to television. And I'm yeah. just wondering is that a piece of language that description watch or listen to television something that's recently been inserted into the Nielsen questionnaire
1: i know a lot of like my family will watch uh, mm-hmm. a, like a news channel we don't want to say mm-hmm. which one but they'll watch mm-hmm. a news channel in the background mm-hmm. while you know mom's making dinner in in the kitchen mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it will be on in a room loud enough that you could hear it from anywhere in the damn house yeah, okay. so they they are listeners uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to watchers, and it's just it's in the background. It's always there, another voice mm-hmm. to keep us company. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, no, no. Thank you for sharing, and mm-hmm. and again, uh, enjoy your retirement. We'll, we'll miss you on this show. <laughs> right. Now you finally got around to seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and yeah. we are going to in about five minutes talk about this James Gunn film. So, spoilers are coming. But before we get to that, just a quick recap of Guardians uh, Guardians 2 at the box office. Been at the top for the past few weeks, but uh, it actually got lapped this past weekend by Fast and Furious 10. That Louis Leterrier film. Oh, by the way, Louis has ties to the MC, uh, MCU. Hulk, right? Yeah, that's right. Back in 2008, uh, the second film from Marvel Studios released to theaters just six weeks after the original Iron Man. Fast and Furious sold 67 million worth of tickets in North American theaters. Guardians Volume 3 uh, came in second with just 32.7 million in ticket sales. To date, the third Guardians film has sold 267 million worth of tickets in North America. That puts it roughly 10% behind. Where Guardians Volume 2 would have been at this exact same time. So, again, a 10% shortfall. And from what I'm hearing from the folks at Disney, they're a teeny tiny bit disappointed. But on the other hand, when they look overseas, where Guardians is now playing in 52 different markets, it's already sold 389 million worth of tickets. Which, if we look at where Guardians Volume 2 eventually ended its international run, at uh, 473 million, reaching that same number overseas is doable. So Marvel and Disney are t- slightly—we're talking teeny tiny itty bitty—disappointed with how uh, Guardians Volume Three is doing stateside, but they're pleased with how it's doing overseas. So it's a wash, and you know we now go from washing to watching. So when did you you finally d- get to catch Guardians?
1: Uh, Monday at 3 p.m. while people were still at work. Tell mm-hmm. you what, if you want to find an empty theater, check out your 3D theater. Oh my God, was <laughs> it empty. Really? I, like, okay. I, that's not a slight against Guardians in any way because mm-hmm. the other regular 2D theaters were fully mm-hmm. packed. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to deal with crowds, so I was okay. like, "I'm gonna go see it in 3D." Also, I like a, a little extra experience when I go to a mm-hmm. theater, so I always end up opting for 3D if it's an option. Mm-hmm. So, just a very quick comparison to Ant Man, like as watching Ant Man converted to 3D, uh, wasn't mm-hmm. a great choice because, like, there was a conversation, and while well, Ant Man is driving in the car with his daughter and and uh, Hope, and there as the people in the front seat are chatting, the person mm-hmm. in the back seat goes out of focus, yeah. right? And then when she talks, mm-hmm. she comes into focus in the back seat and the people in the front seat go out of focus. Now that's mm-hmm. fine in normal 2D because you're, you're focusing on the character and you want the, you know, the focus of the camera to actually be on them. In Guardians of the Galaxy, every single shot was crystal clear background, always mm-hmm. in focus, crystal clear foreground, always in focus. And it translated better than I could have hoped for in the 3d conversion. It really stinking popped in a beautiful way. So I was thrilled right with that, right off the bat.
0: One, just uh, quick observation. In fact, I find when I go to see a movie in 3d these days, what with that roughly like 20% drop off in brightness, I just tend to to shy away because I I actually want to see what the filmmaker intended. Yes, that's yeah. exactly at the brightness level that they, they lit the thing for. I'm so. fairly
1: certain they kick up the brightness on that. Okay. I mean, I know my TV does as well. Like if you switch over to 3D, it immediately kicks up in brightness tremendously okay. to compensate for that. And okay. uh, also darker movies, yeah, there mm-hmm. there is that problem where you lose depth because everything's just inky black. Mm-hmm. But. This was not the case. Everything popped, and even the, the deep space scenes were just glorious to look at in 3D. Like when they're falling down to the organic planet th- or factory mm-hmm. thing, and yep. it's a super wide shot, and you just see f- like four different brightly or five different brightly colored dots of their spacesuits. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it, it looked really, really great. But let's actually get into the, the movie. I looked for a co-director by David Cronenberg, and I did not see it, and that shocked me. I was, you know, okay. So we, we know uh, our good friend, Jim Shule, and Mm -hmm. he said he was going to opt away from seeing this movie due to cruelty to animals. And then Mm -hmm. in like the same 24, 48 hour window, PETA gave their resounding endorsement of guardians of galaxy for the treatment of animals. And I was like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, conundrum, what's this mean? Mm -hmm. And I get both sides because the bunny is damn nightmare fuel, man. Mm, I don't sure. know how kids could make it through that. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have kids. So I don't have to worry about it, but I was glad that there were no kids in the theater with me. Cause I didn't want to hear the screams. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. That bunny is traumatizing. Anyway, beyond that, uh, we got Texas chainsaw massacre finale where they rip off the dude's face. Yeah. PG 13, mind you. Right. I mean, we, we went hard with multiverse of madness and the horror mm-hmm. element, uh, this one, I think, is really... I don't, I don't want to say it deserves an R, but man, the, they had to sweet-talk someone or probably had to cut a couple of seconds here and there to make that work. Something.
0: Which brings me to the news that just broke, I want to say, in the past week to 10 days about the high evolutionary. Okay. If you're actually paying attention in that scene where it's like, everybody, get off the ark. You know, all the animals that come running at the camera and right. you have all of the the guardians, you know, the last bit of the rescue. You're supposed to pay attention to Drax because did you see who he was carrying off the ship? Uh, I don't. I don't recall now. Go ahead. Was it? the High Evolutionary. Oh, really? Yeah, that was kind of making the point that Rocket was a better person than the High Evolutionary, the effect. Right. effective. He wasn't going to let him die, go down with the ship. So, in, in fact, I guess the actor and, for that matter, James Gunn confirmed it in the past. You know, it's like, yep, he's still with us. And, you know, so that potentially means that th- this villain hasn't necessarily... Stepped away from Good. the canvas. And and right. you know, it if he has a spare face, we'll see him
1: again soon. So. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's uh great. I, I like that he was finally a bit more of a mustache twirling type of villain, over the top, mm. and really just hellbent on his goals, everything else be damned. Um it's nice to have a subtle villain, a villain that you can resonate with emotionally, like you know, the villain for Shang-Chi, Dad just wants to get mom back. You can you mm-hmm. can get that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I think was a bit more mustache twirly in that, in yeah. that vein, but the, in a good mm-hmm. way, uh, mm-hmm. not, not a bad thing at all. I also noticed Bobcat Goldthwait's names in the, in the special thank yous. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what the heck, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait contributed to Guardians. Cause it wasn't as a voice or anything. It wasn't listed mm-hmm. there. I do now understand since we were talking about the, the critters and whatnot, mm-hmm. why, they've been showing all of the VFX footage from all the different animals because they are a major part of the story. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work on screen, you've lost everything just from Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I get that now. Oh, we were talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre ending. They are getting better at uh, Mm -hmm. having people speak without a cheek. Because you can't make plosives, because you can't Mm -hmm. make a puff of air. So I'm still going to talk like this a little bit. And Mm -hmm. and so they finally did a pretty decent job with with his ending. But Mm -hmm. um, I love every single moment that Mantis is on screen. She is wonderful. And Cosmo is -hmm. a good dog. I think we'll all agree. Cosmo, very good dog.
0: I have to admit that that arc paid off beautifully. And and more to the point, I, I was so glad to see that sort of arc for Sean Gunn. By yeah. the way, did we actually in the credits, is Michael R- Rooker actually uh, listed, you know, cause it, I would love it if he did actually show up for one day on set and put on the makeup one more time. I, I
1: think he had to have, I, I don't okay. know if that, I don't think that was a deleted scene where they, you know, reused or anything like that. I think that may have been original. Okay. Um, also, Probably Vin Diesel's best acting still. <laughs> I joke. I like Vin. I like his over-the-top stuff. I haven't watched any of the Fast series because that's just a little bit too too crazy. But I still mm-hmm. like Vin Diesel. And uh, I think at the end when you hear Groot say, I love you, mm-hmm. or I love you guys, mm-hmm. I think that's us finally being able to understand Groot language because we've been with him long enough. I don't know.
0: What I loved about that was the lead up to it where Gamora was, you know, getting ready to, to make her goodbyes. And you saw her startle where she finally began to understand what Groot was saying and, and realized that, God, I'm a part of this family.
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: it's like, all right, I got to go. I got I to gotta go back to my real family. So it's a trilogy. And, and this is the last of the James Gunn Guardians. And as far as you're concerned, did it stick the landing?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think the end, you know, the, there's two end credit scenes we'll chat about very briefly mm-hmm. that show uh, in the first one, the new mm-hmm. incarnations of the Guardians with their new leader and, mm-hmm. and their new cast. And I believe mm-hmm. that cast can kind of linger in limbo cinematically mm-hmm. where they just don't need a movie Mm-hmm. we've got too many other things on the schedule, there's not a lot of room for them right now, so mm-hmm. we can just say, yes, they exist, they're out there. Mm-hmm. We might reference them every once in a while, but we're not going to see a movie with them. And then the final end scene puts Star-Lord back on Earth, and that was going to be my question, if he's in space, you know, mm-hmm. how, how do we get him back into a movie? Well, he's on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so we can call on him whenever a script needs him. He can, he can show up just about any time because he's now earthbound. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think my prediction is the Guardians will kind of exist in lore and legend verbally in the movies. We probably won't get a movie with that cast specifically. If ever, Mm -hmm. it'll be a very, very long time. And uh, yeah, Star-Lord will return. So you bet your booties that he'll show up in something somehow.
0: And remember, somewhere off in the distance, we still have the Kang Dynasty, likewise a secret war. And if the Secret War comic is, is any indication, some point a ramp of a spaceship comes down, and the entire
1: <laughs> Guardians
0: <laughs> everybody with, could become... with
1: Sylvester Stallone is on the side. Sure, yeah, I, I yeah. think he's gonna got to be involved in that. And yeah. also, um, I also wanted to just bring up: it was always good to see the return of Howard the Duck, no matter how big or how yeah. small his role was. It's like thank God Howard has a bit of a presence. I,
0: I'm blanking the name of the um, the marvelous Disney listener that reached out with this idea, but basically they pointed out the fact that at the Disney theme park, they have aban- now abandoned the Play It pavilion uh, that was supposed to go into the Wonders of Life building. But they floated the idea, now wait a minute, you know, you've got the Guardians... Cosmic Rewind attraction right next door and you have this empty building and, and nowhere just looks like this amazing place. And it's like, Mm. wouldn't it be cool if you took this empty building and you, you did everything you created or recreated nowhere inside of that space. And it's just sort of like. I would love to float this idea, but you know, just in like the past week, Disney decided they're they're shutting down the Galactic Star
1: Cruiser, So I think right, they're anything. done with the remodels right for a little bit. They've yeah. got to absorb some. Yeah. yeah, I would I would take it one further. Just attach a jaw to Epcot, the uh, <laughs> Planet Earth thing there, <laughs> there and put a big couple of eye sockets in it, and boom, done. Reskinned. Wow. Okay. Eh?
0: Supposedly, uh, there's been some issues at Disney and, and Marvel lately about the cost of films. And, and I've been hearing some grumbling lately about how Guardians Volume 3 supposedly cost $250 million to make versus the $200 million that it cost Volume 2 to make back in 2017. Marvel actually pushed back. To the effect of, what are you talking about? We built the Nowhere set. So you got that for free for the Guardians holiday special thing that you Mm -hmm. ran on. And likewise, you know, we also shot the ride footage for Cosmic Rewind while we were making Guardians Volume Three, so you know it, it's not a twofer; it's a threefer. Sure, but at the same time, back in 2016, the very same thing went on at Disney that they, they were you know, bitching about the fact that Volume Two cost 200 million. You know, you you got the original Guardians for 170, and it's just sort of like, especially these days, for for people in the industry to complain about what things cost. I mean, there's been some talk, for example, about the Marvels. That Nia DaCosta movie reportedly blew through $130 million in just the first two months of filming. And it shot from August of of 2021 through May of 2022. So you can work the math as to what the issue was there, but... The folks who worked in this Neo DeCosta movie is like, that is just not fair. We shot this thing in the middle of the pandemic. You know, we had to shut down, we had to put COVID protocols in place. Before this window in time in Hollywood, everything cost so much more than it should have. And I wish I could report that things are returning to normal in Hollywood. But at, as you mentioned at the top of the show, with, with the WGA strike, there's so much stuff that's been impacted at this
1: point. Isn't uh, just a week or so ago, I want to say that the after a SAG guild, you voted, board members voted unanimously to strike as well, didn't they?
0: Yes, but we're in that weird gray area where it's like, if the script is pre-written and you're not doing any rewrites on set and no members of the cast are being forced to cross an actual picket line. Cause that's the other interesting
1: thing is- Oh, they gotta wait till they're done picketing so they can start their picketing. <laughs> it doesn't, it, you're right. If, if there's no script on a set, then what's the actor good for, you know? So yeah, okay, I get it.
0: But anyway. Uh, Folks, we have uh, more news to get to, but but before we do that, I want to remind you that the news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so next up theatrically is, of course, Across the Spider-Verse, which opens June 2nd. By the way, Drew Taylor has already seen this Into the Spider-Verse sequel, but because he's honoring the press embargo, not allowed to talk about this film, though he he did sort of, speaking metaphorically, did say he would enthuse when he was allowed. So evidently, Mm -hmm. we got a good film. And again, I know we have listeners who want to go into these things clean with no spoilers. The problem is right now, the ads are starting to hit all over the place. And so uh, recently, TV spot has finally confirmed this. Do you remember the Mrs. Chen character from Venom? She's the one who, who runs the store that Eddie Brock. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, there's footage now in a TV ad where the spot character, the villain Leans out of sort of a portal into the live action world of Mrs. Chen's shop from the world of Venom and mm. basically sasses her and then shoplifts something off of the counter before disappearing back into the portal. And Mrs. Chen, who's seen it all, just sort of rolls her eyes and moves on. Also worth noting here that supposedly we will get a peek into the Lego version of the Spider Verse.
1: Wait a minute, does Sony make Lego movies? Who's uh, normally puts those out.
0: That's Warners. That's, you know, okay. the, they're the ones that, Well, again, the giveaway is the, the Lego Batman movie.
1: So, right. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, I know that there's a lot of Lego movies. So it was like Sony had to grease some palms, I guess, to make that happen. Yeah,
0: well, I, I would imagine the Lego people, you know, the, the notion that, the, okay. Oh, you'd like
1: but, to help us sell toys. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There we go. The, do we have any confirmation? Are we getting an animated version of the amazing Garfield Spider Man and the Toby regular Spider Man.
0: Hey.
1: I mean, I know that there was a rumor that they were going to be showing up, mm-hmm. and right now we'll we'll just say that this is all speculation, not spoilers. There we go. So I've covered you legally, Jim. Go thank ahead. Thank you,
0: thank you. I, I think that one is in much the same way as you know, No Way Home. You know, if you think about yeah. how late in the game you know that got given away, I think we're in that same space.
1: I think, you know, Sony, if they're going to lean into a live-action Venom universe just to try and reinforce that Venom matters, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which it doesn't. Yeah, I I think that they're going to go whole hog and be like, now can we tie it to the MCU somehow? Where's Toby and Andrew? Mm, Because if you you can make that little, you know, thread into Mm. a neat little bow, it's like, see, we've now connected it very neatly. Now you're making me think I need to to call Mr. Taylor and
0: see what he can share, what, where we are in the embargo. Uh, other news before I forget, last week we were talking about the box office projections for Across the Spider-Verse, and at that time they were saying something along the line of 70 to $80 million over the opening weekend, which would have been twice the business that the original Into the Spider-Verse did back in December 2018. Well, you can scratch that, folks. Tickets went on sale on May 8th, and even people in the industry were kind of shocked at, at how much stronger they were so numbers have been revised up uh, for across the spider verse we're now looking at 85 to 105 million for opening weekend in north america and just to put that in perspective guardians volume 3 did 114 million over its opening weekend so we're actually talking about an animated marvel movie Doing pretty much the same business, if not better, than some of the more recent live action MCU films. So that's kind of cool. Anyway, folks at Sony are thrilled. Gonna tell you who's not thrilled lately, and that is Marvel Studio Head Kevin Feige. Mind you, we're not talking about uh, Across the Spider Verse now. We are talking about Echo. And remember on the last week's show, Aaron, we were talking about when they made the announcement that. All of the Echo episodes would drop on the same day, May 29th. You were reading the tea leaves there, and it's like the fact that they're going with a very different distribution pattern for for this one show uh, sort of suggests that maybe they don't have the confidence in it they have of, you know, say, a, a Ms. Marvel or Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that sort of thing. As it turns out, Jeff Schneider over at the Hot Mike podcast... He kind of popped the hood on what's going on there and then the production problems that Echo supposedly had. And he did confirm that this limited series for Disney Plus was plagued with issues during production, which Jeff described as a mess. And after shooting eight episodes, they began running the footage back at Marvel. Evidently, it was in such rough shape. That there was serious discussion of taking those eight episodes and cutting them down to as low as four. The highest was six. So that evidently that it was just in such rough shape. But eventually, uh, Kevin, who was not happy, decided that you know the only way to fix this is to do reshoots because at that point, supposedly Feige
1: thought that it looked unreleasable. I almost think they would have been better off if they cut it down to like a two-and-a-half-hour movie mm. because then you at least when you release it in one day, it's not like, hey, why, why are you doing that? Oh, it's a movie. There's only the one thing to watch, so that would explain away, but then you'd still have to have an explanation. Why did it go from a series to a movie? There you go. There you go. At this point, we're on the
0: other side of that. They've done the reshoots. There's clearly... Uh, feel better about whatever shape Echo is in at this point. And as we mentioned, Alequa Cox, uh, who plays the title role at Echo, will begin doing promotion around the country, uh, appearing at various Comic Cons and that sort of thing. In fact, we mentioned, you know, as part of last week's show, that she seems to have given away that there will be a big Marvel presentation in Hall uh, H at San Diego Comic Con on July 22nd. Just early this week, D23, the official Disney fan club, has now given us all another reason to journey down to San Diego for Comic-Con this year. And did you hear about this? The Hellfire Gala? Oh, no. That sounds great. I mean, like the Hellfire Club from X-Men? That's it exactly. Okay, great. Yeah. This is being presented by Marvel and D23. Uh, It is going to be a hard ticket event held in San Diego on the exact same day. As the Hall H presentation, so we're talking uh, Saturday, uh, July 22nd. If the pattern holds, the Marvel Studios presentation in Hall H will begin at 5 p.m. The Hellfire Gala is going to be held eight blocks away from the San Diego uh, Convention Center on 615 Broadway in the Park Nightclub. They're encouraging folks, they want them to cosplay, they want them to come ahead and and walk the green carpet and make this into a truly memorable Marvel-based experience. But again, if the pattern holds, people will line up that morning outside of Hall H with the hope that they can get into the Marvel presentation to see what's going to happen and say... Six and that sort of thing. And a lot of folks just are not going to be able with the presentation ending. uh, You know, typically it's an hour long presentation. So it's done by six. And the whole notion of can they head back to the hotel room, put on their cosplay and then hike over to the park nightclub on, again, 615 Broadway in time to do this. And I mean, D23 always has this habit of sort of making people pay through the nose. Uh, if you're a gold member, you can get a ticket to this event for $65 a person, or you can get an expedited entry, which means I'm assuming you don't have to stand in line outside. They'll, they'll wave you into this event for $85. On the other hand, if you are not a gold member, uh, you can buy tickets. All you have to do is become a general member, which is free. But at that point, a general member... Pay, is paying one hundred and twenty-five dollars to get into this event, and, and if you want the expedited version of this admission, that's one hundred and fifty-five dollars.
1: Is there a discount for students of the Xavier School of of Mutant Academy? I I would should be. They genuinely should be. hope so. But it sounds like it's a Sophie's choice for a comic book fan. Do you either go to Hall H or do you go to an after party? Where are they going to have like? Celebrities? Are they going to have X-Men there from previous films? Are they going to do anything to make it Hellfire Club? Or are they just going to rely on cosplayers to fill it and make it cool? They describe the Hellfire Gala featuring three separate areas. There will be the Green Lagoon,
0: which will be inspired by the watering hole on Krakoa Island. Is that right? Krakoa? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, the, the Green Lagoon, you get to struck down the green carpet to enter the event. You're surrounded by lush greenery. And you, you can then take a seat to survey the Hellfire Ballroom. This is where the main offerings for the evening will be presented. You step through a Cohen gateway to enter. This is where the dance floor will be with the, the heroes and the villains and everyone in between. booths around the edge of the dance floor. And then it's Layer X. It's head to the underground lair dedicated to the X-Men and take a look over the last 60 years of mutant history. Larex will have its own activities along with a bar, a uh, seating area, and photo ops, perfect for immortalizing all magnificent cosplay. So this is the first really big Disney, Marvel Studios, X-Men uh, event.
1: Right. I'm, I'm only thinking the only thing that'll backfire mm-hmm. is that it's Hellfire Club related. And they're, you know, at once upon a time... The uh, Marvel made a character gay Mm -hmm. and that was like, oh, my God, they're trying to indoctrinate children. Mm -hmm. I'm sure this is going to be perverted into it's satanic. Mm -hmm. Look at the name. Hellfire gala. Mm -hmm. They're celebrating the devil. And especially since there's a Mephisto Mm -hmm. about you do have a devil just kind of walking around at some point, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i just hope it doesn't get you know the the groups that want to cause up you know controversy they can stay home for this one and just keep quiet just let the kids dress up and have fun
0: god i hope you're wrong about that but yeah i just i I suspect you're right i'm more concerned about the the price point i mean just getting down to san diego just getting admission you know what it costs to get into comic-con these days let alone the hundreds of dollars you have to commit per night to have you know, a hotel within a couple of blocks of the convention center, it's just sort of...
1: Yeah, but here's the thing, Jim. Exclusivity mm-hmm. makes it desirable. Because mm-hmm. if you just let everybody in, no charge, it's like, eh, you could do that. It's free. Yeah, who cares? Okay. But it's like, oh, man, it's like over $100 to get in. It's like, yeah, but that makes it cool because it's got to be worth $125, right? Not everybody's going there. It'll be private. It'll be intimate. It's desirable. Okay. That's the thing. Okay. What's the price point for a Disney dinner? Like if you were to go and do one of them show dinners where like they've got a princess walking about while you're, while you're dining. What's that run for like a, a per person or a family of four or whatever?
0: Give me two seconds here. Sure. And I will get you a real world response. Okay. This is the hoity-toity-go-eat. Yeah. For example, just if you want to do breakfast with Cinderella in Cinderella Castle at Walt Disney World it's $65 per adult plus okay, tax and so twice that. yeah yeah
1: so. all so. right well but it's a one time special event one time only you can't just show up in morning hours and expect to be served so okay. I expect there to be a little okay. price hike just for that yeah I, I think that price point wise it's in that yeah, we can do it. It might hurt a little bit financially to do that little extra, but damn, I really, really want to go see like if they have, you know, the various costumes that Wolverine wore mm-hmm. on mannequins in, in that one lounge or whatever that you can take mm-hmm. pictures in, and you know, like the history of the X Men over the last sixty years. They've got they've got to have some something worth taking photos of and saying, "Wow, I'm really glad I came here and dropped the money." So I, I think it's in the ballpark of reasonable.
0: And speaking of money, though, uh, Florence Pugh had some interesting things to say about money recently, and which Aaron and I will discuss on the second half of today's show. Before we get to Ms. Pugh, you got an interesting letter from a marvelous Disney lister, Ben. uh, Ben Stein, is that right?
1: Yeah, not not the Ben Stein from Ben Stein's Money. However, mm-hmm. this Ben Stein was on an all Ben Stein episode of Win Ben Stein's Money, oh. and I can't remember which Ben Stein he was. I think he was the third one, but I'll, I, I haven't. That wasn't in my list of notes for today's show. But yeah, uh, you, you can find Ben there as one of the contestants. But mm-hmm. anyway. He just wanted to reach out because I had mentioned The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay mm-hmm. uh, that was written by Michael Chabon, and he said, it was one of my favorite books, and uh, he read it, and, and he wrote a letter to Michael, and Michael responded back. Mm-hmm. And uh, to add to why Michael's book meant so much to him, he said the book reminded him of his dad, who grew up in New York City in the 1940s and actually worked at Timely Comics Mm -hmm. as a production assistant that year in the same office as Stan the Man Lee.
0: Wow!
1: Yeah, so we get to the sad news that Ben lost his father in 2001. He started reading the novel shortly thereafter, and so it was an extra special experience for him, combining the fact that uh, it was just an awesome book to begin with, but it had those ties to real family roots. So thanks for reaching out, Ben. That's a very cool Story. I threatened Ben to have him on the show and mm-hmm. start telling dad stories of hanging with Stan the man back in the day. So we'll see if he wants to join us one day. Oh, how very cool. Wow. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, totally. Okay.
0: Uh, well, uh, to pivot back to Ms. pew this is an actress who got a start in indie films Lady Macbeth and midsummer She actually got an, uh, an Oscar nomination for her work in Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Just recently, Florence uh, talked with the folks at Total Films about how her friends who work in the indie film realm reacted to her signing on to do Marvel movies. And she said, so many people in the indie film world were really pissed off at me. They were like, great. Now she's gone forever. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working as hard as I used to work. I've always done back to back movies. It's, it's just that people are watching them now. You know, you, you just have right. to get a little bit more organized w- with your schedule. and And then, You know, they were grousing that she was never going to come back to small films again after starting to work for Marvel. And it's like that sort of thinking uh, wounded her because it said, look, there's beauty in all types of film. There's beauty in the massive epic storytelling of like Dune and Marvel. And by the way, she's in Oppenheimer uh, coming out this summer.
1: Oh, hold on. Hold on. I have to I have to about Oppenheimer. Okay. Just because it's about nuclear explosions does not mean all of your sound design has to be set to 11. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I get it. The urge is there. I would probably be tempted to do the same thing, but you know what's really mm-hmm. also effective? A quiet moment. Yeah. It's like, man, I can just hear the splatter and, and the distortion of... We went too loud. Anyway,
0: go ahead, please. Okay, okay, okay. Well, again, she, she goes on to talk about how Dune and Marvel, you know, they're amazing mega movies, but there's also beauty in in all the little movies that, are, that not everyone's going to see, but are going to affect the right person at the right time. I've never ever only thought that I was just going to do one type of movie. I've, you know, want to dabble in all sorts of areas. And and the word is that production of Thunderbolts will officially get underway on June 12th out ahead of a planned theatrical release July of next year. But nobody knows for sure what's going to happen now because of the WGA strike. God help us if that script needs to be rewritten. So speaking of calendar related stuff, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout opened at Disney's California Adventure Park six years ago this week. That attraction was shoehorned into that theme park's Tower of Terror, which in and of itself was kind of rushed into that park. It opened in April, May of 2004, and then when they made the decision that they were going to change it over to well, it was kind of the flag that was planted out ahead of the Avengers campus. But they shut down the Tower of Terror in January of 2017. And just five months later, the Guardians of the Galaxy a mission breakout ride was up and running. Anybody who's ever been on a, a Tower of Terror or have been on you know, a mission breakout, the, the rethemed version of Tower of Terror for DCA, you get in the car, it takes you up. Two hundred feet, and then you're not falling. You know that this is actually a powered attraction. You're actually going down at I'd say I think it's one and a half times the speed of gravity. So it's like thirty nine miles an hour, and then they they pull you back up again. And and for five years or so, this attraction in California operated safely and and it, with no no problems. And then, have you heard about this new TikTok trend?
1: Uh-oh, that's never good. It's,
0: well, yeah, well, what had what begun happening is that influencers who wanted things that people would watch in, on YouTube or, or TikTok or, or Instagram or the like would slip out of their seatbelts so they could get, I mean, crazy airtime on this ride as it you know, went up and down the shaft. And Disney's lawyers began to see these videos online and got so concerned about it that they actually went to the park and insisted they install a new sign in the queue, uh, which reads, Keep seatbelt securely fastened and tight against the waist. Failure to follow these instructions may result in being asked to leave the park.
1: Should have changed may to will.
0: Yeah. uh, Just
1: put a little bit more force behind those words, because may do something is like, I'll take the risk because I may not get caught. Kind of similar to uh, the, the, uh, there was a news story very recently about some idiot pilot who uh, jumped out of his airplane. Oh, yes. And that was just for like a a deal for a wallet company Mm -hmm. to be like a spokesperson for it. It's like, that is so stupid. So incredibly stupid. I'm glad that he's getting jail time for it. The influencers do some really dumb stuff for follows and uh, people can get hurt. No, so yeah, don't don't do that.
0: By the way, though, if you're going through the, uh, the queue for Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout and you arrive at the sign, be sure to look around you because this is actually where they start Rocket's appearance in the attraction that... If you're looking around in the queue, you will notice every so often these tiny handprints and tiny footprints in red paint. And this is supposedly to show you Rocket has managed to break out of the attraction. In fact, he's the one reaching out to Mantis, which, by the way, they also have a wanted poster out in the queue to establish the fact that Mantis is not with the Guardians. She has somehow managed to get away and I don't know if nowadays they say she's gone off to get the Bowie. I think she, that she, in the timeline that they were doing back in 2017, it was the, the Milano. But the story is set up that far. And then uh, when you finally get to the old library room in the Tower of Terror, you get that amazing rocket animatronic figure, which this was a retooling of of the Tower from 2004 so. The newest piece of tech in that building is the Rocket AA, and what's fascinating about him is he's all electric. Disney has quietly begun introducing what they call their hero animatronic figures, the the A-1000s, which,
1: uh, by the way... Oh my god, that's so close to a T-1000. Well, no, I was about to say,
0: I was about to say that the very thing that came to mind when somebody shared that you know, it's like, oh, great. Now Abraham Lincoln
1: is going to come to life and try to strangle me. Four squat, and seven years ago, I was looking for Sarah Connor. Speaking of
0: which, that is the, the first place that the A1000s uh, were introduced. In 2009, they put an all-electric head on Abraham Lincoln rather than the previous hydraulically driven
1: uh, Lincoln, which I mean, when it sprung the leak, all the oil came oozing out of the mouth. It looked like he was doing a scene from the exorcist. It was horrible. Horrible. Well,
0: you are actually not all that wrong. I remember talking with, with some of the, the original imaginers who worked on this thing. I, I, for example, Mark Davis, and he shared the story that the hydraulic fluid that they used to power the cams and Lincoln back then, he said, we looked at it. We didn't, it was pink. We didn't think that, you know, we were going to have an issue, but when he was on stage in New York and he began and, and pink fluid would suddenly, you know, his white shirt would, would flow through, the audience would, would, would lose it because they thought somebody had shot Lincoln again. Yeah. That's funny. That is, that is. But all right. So over at this point, we're talking 14 years or thereabouts, they have been creeping these electric figures in. You you can see them, for example, in the Enchanted Tales of Belle at the Magic Kingdom, Frozen Ever After over at Epcot, and the Navi River Journey uh, attraction. uh, That's the shaman figure that you'll
1: see there at at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Part of the reason for these advancements, Mm -hmm. because I'm working on R2, Mm -hmm. I've got a computer, a full-functioning working computer that does everything that a normal computer can do. It's no bigger than the size of a stick of gum. It's a Raspberry Pi. And then I've got uh, another one. It's like Mm -hmm. as big as my pinky nail, but it runs my lighting system in my R2. And the motors on these things have gotten so incredibly small because when they first started, they had these big, huge honking... You know, oh, uh, yeah. motors yeah, that yeah, yeah. would lift up all of the panels mm-hmm. of of the R two unit, mm-hmm. and right now the, they've got these micro motors that are just incredibly tiny, but they can lift the weight and they're easy to tuck away. And mm-hmm. yeah, the the technology of of these things getting smaller and smaller and smaller has advanced so fast that I'm very much not surprised that they're switching over. And you had mentioned a different thing where they were switching some things that were like water-based attractions, but they're using electronics there and you're afraid of like electrical damage with mixing well, they with water. Are, and it's, like- I,
0: I, it's so interesting you say that because that, that's supposedly the new figures that are going into Tiana's Bayou Adventure, the replacement yeah. attraction for Splash Mountain. Yes, that, that all of the figures that are going into that will
1: Will be electrical. The replacement parts are so small and so cheap that it's like, yeah, it, it's okay if one gets through and we can slap in another one in a matter of minutes and it's fine. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's cool that they're making those advancements because I think it's going to just help everything in the park look that much better with more mobility. One of the
0: concerns is it's not enough that they can do the cool things with the electric motors, it's that you also actually have to be able to access that figure to make the repairs. Mm -hmm. And this actually brings us to uh, the Yeti in Expedition Everest uh, at Walt Disney World. At the time when this attraction came online, back in 2006, it was the largest animatronic figure uh, that that Disney had ever built. It was 25 feet tall. It swiped its mighty paw at your train as you, you rolled by, in fact, the power that drove this thing was the equivalent of a 747 taking off. That, that's how much horsepower. But the interesting thing is, three to four months after this attraction opened, that force, that power, uh, the very thing they hyped, caused the frame that held the Yeti to split. And yeah. they had to put the attraction in B-mode, and uh, it's been in B-mode ever since. And I take it B-mode is stationary? You get the soundtrack, you get a flickering light effect, you know, I mean, it, you get a dramatic pose, okay. but you don't get the movement. And ever since then, uh, they have had, you know, with every attraction to the effect, what they call the Yeti meeting, you know, to the effect of, okay, this is <laughs> a wonderful animatronic figure you've created here, what happens when it doesn't work, you know, how do we continue to present the show and and what they've, they've begun defaulting to mm-hmm. is there will be a large television, a flat screen in every one of these that will be used for elements of the pre-show that in the best of all possible world, the character, the, the animatronic, the elect, electric animatronic will be gesturing to the television uh, and giving you additional information uh, as a guest in the pre-show before you, you get loaded on the attraction. But if the figure goes down they divert to suddenly that that very same character is on the screen. It, it's, you know, the, they will do like, for example, in Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, they will literally mm-hmm. walk in to where the Hondo figure is and he will bend at the way, still throw a tarp over him. And you'll suddenly think, okay, that's cargo. And now Hondo will be talking to you out of the screen in the queue. And, that's the same thing they do with Rocket in Mission Breakout, that suddenly Rocket is cutting into a feed. He's hiding somewhere else in the building and is explaining to you, I need your help to rescue the Guardians.
1: Oh, that I feel that's almost a dangerous precedent of like, because things are going to break down. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of anything that, that moves. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be like, all right, get the TV ready. And at some point they're going to be like, you know what, just leave the TV up, get rid of the raccoon. And I don't Mm. want the idea of Disney World, all the cool stuff is just, you see that TV monitor? Something cool used to happen over there. Now it's just a a Vizio TV. You have to prepare contingencies. Otherwise, you have to shut down the whole hotel, right? If it it doesn't work, you gotta... There you go. Yeah, I I mean, I get it. I get it. Mm
0: So now, 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 toward that end, though, and now pivoting to
1: your fun new uh, podcast, 32nd Street. I've been waiting a long time to say these lines. Okay. What's under your kitchen sink that could kill you and your whole family? We'll <laughs> tell you tonight at 11. We're going to be talking about sensationalism. <sighs> about, about a headline that grabs your attention at the expense of Accuracy. And boy, do I have to confess that I use sensationalism all the time. Insurance salesmen, Jim, you're getting to that age where something could happen to you any day and you'd leave Nancy behind with nothing unless you have a life insurance policy. Mm -hmm. They prey on your fears, but what happens to you when you suddenly disappear off the face of the planet and you leave nothing for your loved ones behind? Mm -hmm. That's, it's a form of sensationalism in advertising about what could happen if you died. Mm -hmm. Sensational. Go to the extreme. So yeah, we're, we're going to teach you some red flags to look for and all that on the next 32nd Street. What I find
0: fascinating these days is to see the clickbait article online where, I again, I'm an old pyramid yep. structure guy. You know, just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you start with the most interesting fact and, and then you build downward. Or, you know, again, you're yep. looking to tell a story. Where, you know, these clickbait stories where you get a headline that teases something and then you have to scroll 10, 13, 15 paragraphs down to then find out you've been had. You know, it just sort yeah. of, you know. That thing and, is
1: never actually brought up ever yeah. again or verified. And it's like, but you did scroll past 36 ads while looking you for that did. that clickbait information. You did. You did. Yeah, it's Just sort yeah. of
0: like, it, it makes me crazy that this is. This is the world we live in, you know, and, and for, for somebody like myself who trades in information, I, I'm always embarrassed when
1: I get sucked in by an article like that. But you never post any clickbait online on your Twitter feed, do you, Jim? It's mostly just, you know, traditional news, fact fact happens, and, and
0: you, you post it. To be honest, I'm, I'm also looking for what the joke is. But, but speaking of, of sure.
1: social media, where can the nice folks find you on social media, Aaron? Still muddling around on Twitter, at AzaProd, because it's just the most convenient, and I'm reluctant to change. I don't yeah, care. <laughs> it's, that's, it's just that's, like, that's, I don't have time for another thing.
0: Same reason I'm still on Twitter, though. Yeah. And also on Instagram, is, is Jim Hill Media, though I have been hearing that Instagram is about to walk out its own Twitter. Also uh, over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News, we plugged your 32nd Street. So I, I get to mention that we also have a couple of other podcasts here that you might want to pay attention to. We, of course, have Disney Dish that I do with Lentesto. We've talked previously on today's show about Drew Taylor, who I do fine-tuning with. And Drew also has his own wonderful uh, Mission Impossible-based podcast, Light Diffuse. Brian Gunn and I just got a, a new Looking at Lucasfilm done, where we're going to talk about what's what happened with the Galactic Star Cruiser. Beyond that, folks, if you could do Mr. Adams and I a favor, if you could have, head over to Apple Podcast and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street, that would be great. After that, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening, and we will be back soon.